with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, and one of those strange sounds you might hear is my voice. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, New England's own Van Helsink, and with me, right here, within hitting range, is St. Jan herself. Hello, everybody. So there you go. So we got a great show tonight. Um, Anne's not going to be with us. Unfortunately, I wore her out on uh, our great adventure. So there you go. Uh, but that's the way it is. Anyways, we've got a great, great show because we have our ace, ace reporter with us tonight. And once again, he was out on assignment, working his little fingers to the bone, uh, doing whatever he does, and coming back to report on it. So... Without further ado, let me introduce to you Mr. Spocky Stephen Scott. Hey, hi there, Ron. Hi, John. Hi, Steve. How are you doing again? Yes, I'm doing great. I'm doing absolutely <laughs> great. A little too warm here just now, but I'm doing well. Right, wait a minute. You said warm? It's warm. We were round about the 75 Fahrenheit, 80 Fahrenheit today, which is That's quite warm. warm for Scotland. That's warm? That's warm, yes. Whatever. <laughs> ask ask Karina, what, Karina what warm is, and she'll tell you. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, Texas is, is even warmer than we are, uh, that's for sure. But anyways, um, well, I have to ask one question. You guys don't have air conditioners in, in Scotland, do you? Uh, some places do, but generally we don't need them. Uh yeah, most of the time we don't need them. Where I work has aircon, but on the whole we don't need it. Right. So what about? I mean, what about mugginess? Do you have mugginess over there? Oh yes, yes. You can't have any sort of summer in Scotland without the humidity. Uh, mm. It adds a good couple of degrees centigrade to the whole thing. You know, we were hitting twenty nine Celsius today, but the car, if you were sitting in your car just and it was testing all the humidity, it was coming at about thirty five. It was really horrible. <laughs> ah, so um, do, do you have like dehumidifiers? I mean, do you, you have those even? Some people do. Some yeah. people do. I don't. I just open no. the windows. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, you guys are like hippies, anyways. I'm sure you don't even wear. Clo- <laughs> I'm sure you don't even wear clothes. So I mean, uh, I'm old. Uh, half the time, loincloths. You know. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, you got you just got back from a great adventure, which I'm I'm really excited because I, I just returned from a great adventure as well with uh, the blonde bombshell. So uh, we have so many interesting things to talk about. So let's let's start with you because uh, I can always talk at any time. <laughs> but uh, where did you go and and what did you see? I guess. That's- wow. Uh- Basically, we, uh, myself and my good lady wife, uh, we went down to what is essentially the southwest of England to a place called uh, Glastonbury. Now, everyone will know Glastonbury uh, and that area because of 
Stonehenge, uh, the famous festival that happens here every year down in Glastonbury, but also it's a very well-known area with associations to King Arthur and the Arthurian legends. And that's something that we sort of stumbled into in more than one respect uh, when we went down there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw something. In fact, we posted uh, the pictures you sent us on our Facebook page, which is Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. And uh, I actually put them in a folder called Camelot because I didn't know what to call them. So I figured that would be as good as any. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you will probably get some people tell you that's not Camelot, but because I don't think anyone really knows where Camelot was. Yeah. Uh, but as Monty Python said, we don't go there. It is a silly place. <laughs> <laughs> Remember the coconuts and the horses for the horses? Oh, that's right, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favourite movies, actually. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty good. But, um, what, I mean, you, you, I mean... I was going to say you English, but that's not exactly true. I mean, uh, you uh, UKs uh, give us quite a bit. Uh, so wait a minute. I mean, you were, you were off of like Scottish independence, yet you're going to England and leaving your, your Scottish d- doubloons there? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, um, getting back onto the independence thing, I can't seem to get away from this whenever I talk to you, Ron. It's, it's, the, the, the whole point of that was that Scotland could have control of its own finances, etc. Uh, it's nothing to do with a dislike of England. In fact, I've, I've got a great passion for all of the Celtic heritage from that place, you know, from that section down in the southwest between mm-hmm. Wales and England. Uh, and my wife is very passionate about the Arthurian legends. Ah, OK, so let's let's uh, leave uh, Scottish independence out of this again. And... Uh, <laughs> Go to the Athenian legend, Athurian, uh, one of those uh, legends. So, what I mean, we we all know King Arthur and the Camelot and the Knights of the Round Table. Uh, is there more to this? And Merlin, of course. And I mean, it's, yeah, there is one. It's unfortunately, it's one of those subjects that, as soon as you scrape the surface of it, there is more and more and more and more to be found. Uh, I'm not an Arthurian historian or anyone. I'm just a lay person with an interest. Uh, but everyone knows the stories you said about King Arthur and uh, his rise to power. Now, the the place where we were, the the areas that we actually went to, we went down there because it was the summer solstice, uh, which obviously is the longest day, uh, and it was to undertake a kind of semi-spiritual journey and just see what happens to us within very famous places like Glastonbury Tor uh, where a great deal of religious practice and spiritual belief takes place at that time of year and also to visit the Chalice Well and this is where the ties start coming into the Arthurian aspect of things. All of these two areas are in the Glastonbury region now tying that back to the Arthurian legend Technically, the Chalice Well in Glastonbury, which is essentially a fresh spring well that uh, has never run out of flow, even during periods of drought, it continuously brings forth this very iron-heavy, red-tinged water. Oh, wow. Uh, This has ties back to goddess mythology, which predates 
the Christianity period within the UK and at the same time also ties into the Arthurian legend because apparently and I use the term apparently according to legend during the expansion of Christian faith Joseph of Arimathea travelled to the Glastonbury region and cleansed the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ in the well, which is why it's now known as the Chalice Well but the history of that also predates everything that happened before this because the whole area is very strong in goddess worship and all you have to do is go visit any part of Glastonbury and you'll see that amazing amount of just uh, awareness of these natural earth energies about the birth, death, renew cycles, all these kind of things Mm-hmm. So it's uh, and all of this again is tied into the Arthurian legend, which mm-hmm. had its roots in paganism, and which also ties into the kind of more modern Christianity take on it as well. Uh, but uh, essential. Oh, sorry. That's okay. But uh, did you finish that, or did I just cut you off? You no, cut- all, I was, all I was going to say was was that uh, Arthur was essentially the king of the Britons, mm-hmm. uh, and everyone. Go out, read the stories. You'll find out about how the Knights of the Round Table were formed, about the history of him. But the place we went to, Tintagel Castle, is where Arthur was conceived. And there was a little bit of skullduggery and trickery in that, and how that all came about. Um, And again, this ties back into this natural worship and this natural magical essence that runs very deep through that whole region. In order for Arthur to be conceived, his father, Uther Pendragon, convinced the wizard Merlin to place a spell on him to make him look like his enemy, who is called Gorlos. He then, under the guise of Gorlos, visited Gorlos's wife because he had a little thing for him. And while Gorlos was fighting in battle, Uther, disguised as Gorlos, visited the, a, a woman called Egraine who was Gorlos's wife they had the thing Arthur was conceived in that moment and also if I remember correctly that night Gorl- or very soon after that Gorlos was killed in battle fighting Arthur's armies so that's where the whole and that's why we went to Tintagel Castle because that's where that occurred oh okay Right, we, that's sort of like the uh, the movie Excalibur. That's if, if yes, you... it is actually yes. Yeah, and uh, so uh, one thing I, I wanted to ask you before we get into the legend too much because you brought it up. You talked about uh, the worship of of feminine deities. Yes. Why, why do you think um, you know the Christian is always the male? And like pagan is always the female. Is it just the way it is, or or is there a particular reason you think that they differ? I mean, because you know we have other religions, of course, that uh, worship other gods as well. But I mean, why do you think uh, it is the way it is? Well, I actually find that paganism is more in balance than just aspects of a divine feminine energy they look at that as the creative force I believe, you know, it's all life has to go through that feminine process in order Ah, to be conceived but at the same time uh, within paganism you also have, for example, within certain branches of paganism and witchcraft you have the the green man or the horned god 
as well, which is the duality of opposites. And almost like the theory of yin-yang and this type of thing, which also brings me back to the symbology used in the chalice well, uh, is that paganism's more about the balance, but they do acknowledge that the gift of life itself comes from that feminine energy. The spark comes from the male energy, but the process is very feminine. That's my understanding of it. Yeah. It makes sense. What's it? Uh, absolutely. All right, so going back to where you were. Now, so this is supposedly the cast, castle where Arthur was conceived. Did I get that right? Yes, that's correct. Yes, Tintagel Castle. Okay. Now, you sent this over some photographs. Are there photographs of that castle in that folder? Yes, there are. Yes. Uh, they should be marked Tintagel. Okay. T-I-N-T-A-G-E-L. Tintagel. Tintagel. Whatever. Anyways, so, I mean, as a medium, and, and you went to this place that was so seeped in uh, tradition and legend, I mean, how did you feel it, it, in, in this location? Well, I actually found in Tintagel, I actually f- experienced that. I felt more spiritually active there than anywhere else. Now, perhaps that was tuning into the hundreds and the hundreds of lives covering, you know, several thousand years that have lived there. Because before Tintagel Castle, I believe there was a monastery there mm-hmm. as well, or a, a place of worship for whatever purposes. But um, as we're walking around it, it's it, it's a very imposing place to walk around. It, it, all the walkways are tight. They're very steep. They're all sta- uh, steps and staircases. But just the sheer location itself... Uh, it just felt like a very magical place. I almost felt as though I was in a... And this also occurs when we're in the Merlin's Cave. I felt as though I was in a bridge between two worlds, as though the myth and the legend has actually got a basis in reality that it is based on actual facts. And it felt as though, when we started to tune in, I actually felt more uh, spiritually at ease and comfortable with the location than I have on some of the more... Um, I'll use the term uh, commercialised and normal, <laughs> mundane type of places that you can go to that claim to be very spiritual. Uh, to me, Tintagel Castle, and not knowing a great deal of the history until I got back from it, uh, Tintagel Castle to me felt like a place where a great deal of natural power had gathered. And and this is purely psychic that I'm talking about here, just that psychic sense, those clear senses that we all have, is that it just felt like a place where there was a gathering of power and a gathering of thoughts. Because even when we were there, there were areas where people, for no reason, we all just seemed to congregate on, as though we were just tapping into something special. But at the same time, everything was very personal. Uh, I think everyone who went there would have had their own individual personal spiritual experience or if they weren't inclined with that, their own knowledge and understanding of the historical nature of the place mm-hmm. uh, in my mind's eye I was trying to build it up and imagine what it actually looked like when I was there and my mind was conjuring all these amazing you know looking rooms and areas and places and some of these areas were going back to 6th century and all that was left was just basically the outline of the room footprint 
but uh, you could just imagine and th- there were times that we were walking about you, you could almost smell and taste the things that may have happened there it was really strange, you're walking from one place to the next and you just pick up a sense of a smell cattle or, which, which wouldn't be difficult because there were sheep roaming the hills just beside yeah. us um, but at the same time you, you got this, like, sometimes got a smell of food or you got a sense of warmth which again wasn't too difficult we were about 400 feet up above the sea <laughs> and it was roasting hot um, And the, but it's difficult to explain there was just this sense of being part of something when you were there and it, it hit you very deep and I, I believe that everyone who went there would have had their own personal experience to take away from that uh, I just want to add right now that we are also joined by Macy, my cat uh, so She's just waiting for my ice cream dish. Oh, fine. Give her your ice cream dish in so we can get rid of her. That's what happens when you work out of home sometimes. Uh, but anyways, uh, your, your wife, your charming wife went with you, and she is, um, what's the word? She is also very sensitive as well. Yes. So when you work together, or you go on I shouldn't say work, but when you go on these excursions together do you tap on on each other's energy? Yes, we can do, uh, I mean don't get me wrong sometimes we tap into each other's energy and it works great, other times we are like literally like oil and water, we couldn't be more different <laughs> in what we experience but you know, that's any good marriage when you think about it uh, but yes when, when we are together uh, the first night we were there when we visited Glastonbury and the Chalice Well and the Tor, we were sitting relaxing that night and just talking about what we experienced. And we both experienced this, essentially the same things, particularly at the Chalice Well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we, we, I found it quite interesting that we were both picking up on the exact same feelings. We were expressing it slightly differently, but at the core of what we were talking about was the same sense and the same impressions that we had picked up. Okay. So give us some of the, the you know, you spent you, you spent quite a t- bit of time there. I mean, we, we've got a lot of photographs. We've got, uh, you know, we haven't even mentioned Merlin, and uh, we'll get to that in a bit. But uh, what, what drew you to this place? I mean, you went over there, I, I assume, because of Stonehenge and the summer solstice, right? Yes. Yes, it, we had always wanted to visit Glastonbury Tor and Stonehenge and fate played its course and we ended up booking an extra night in between at a small location called Tavistock at this wonderful little hotel and as we planned out the holiday, this was literally the night before we left uh, we suddenly realised, hang on there's something happening here we can, re- can recognise that there are links to this Arthurian concept, this Arthurian myth that's actually taken place before us um, and what we then discovered was that everywhere we went had links back to Arthur uh, King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table the Holy Grail, Avalon all these types of things because what we discovered was that Glastonbury Tor is thought to be the island of Avalon Okay, what is that, uh, Stephen? 
Avalon is uh, it's a mythical land. It's a spiritual place where you would go to be renewed, healed. It's it's a very it's a mystical location that you literally pass through one world to the next to go to. Now, the tour itself is not. In, in fact, within Arthurian legend, Arthur was gravely wounded, and he was taken through the mists to Avalon to be healed. And Avalon is said to be the place where uh, the Lady of the Lake rules and resides. Mm-hmm. However, there's a lot of legends around what actually takes place on Glastonbury Tor. And as I say, the more you look at it, you find something else, then you find something else. It's got an incredibly deep history, but all of it seems to come from the same place. The this, this same type of thoughts, the same type of theories. Particularly with Glastonbury, as I said, Avalon is is the crossing point between two worlds. Uh, there is also legend that Glastonbury Tor is the gateway to the underworld, which again is the gateway to two worlds between the living and the dead, mm-hmm. or the living and the spirit. And uh, it's it's all inf- in, infused in that area. And depending on what part you want to come and look at and what the angle you're coming from, you can find evidential meaning within everything that happens there. Mm-hmm. So you said you took a tour no, Tor, T-O-R. It means oh. a mound, a hill. Oh, right, okay. So I wasn't quite sure, you know, because you got a funny accent, so... I, I have indeed, yes. I can't help it. Yeah, I know, so it was your... Okay, so this area, is is it... I mean, is it public land where people can go and on their own, or...? Yes, or, yep, yeah. you can take a walk. Uh, you walk out of Glastonbury Town, about 10, 15 minutes, then you hit the bottom of what feels like 5,000 steps up to the top of this tor uh, or hill uh, and the steps are carved into the hill I think it took a, took myself and Vanny maybe 20-25 minutes to get to the top of this um, it really felt like we were climbing a mountain and all the while you can see the tower of St Michael at the top of the tor now there's apparently a ley line called St Michael's ley line that runs through Glastonbury Tor and that's one of the major ley lines in the UK that runs from Penzance to the East Coast. And uh, so if, if there is anywhere that there's going to be a travelling of energies, it would be along that type of location. But uh, it's an absolutely wondrous place, despite the huge amount of effort that uh, you have to go through. Uh, and we saw some people undertaking their own personal pilgrimages to go there. Um, some people were dressed up Oh, I, I'm not joking like druids oh, with yeah. green robes staffs, headpieces uh, some people were going up there literally on crutches looking for healing and guidance at that time of year and mm. it, it was just it, it, it was an incredible place to visit uh, and I experienced things there Vary experienced things there as well and uh, what we were aware of was that there was just this outpouring of energy coming from the tour now, whether that was because of the summer solstice, whether that was because I, th- I thought we were going to have a heart attack when we got to the top, yeah. I'm honestly not sure. But, uh, there, but when we tuned in, there really was this outpouring of incredible power and energy when we were up there. We also saw some pagans walking about, taking their own personal rituals, chanting to themselves, standing in the wind at the top of the hill, the tor. Uh, it really was quite an incredible place to visit. What's the difference between the pagans and the druids? 
that's I, I actually don't know to be honest Ron uh, that's something that I think we would have to go away and look at I don't know the difference personally between paganism and druidism we'll look it up in the, in the um, dictionary Wikipedia oh Wikipedia whatever you can wiki it yeah, wiki it. <laughs> but and it, that's it's always uh, you know I always think about you. You hear about uh, pagans, you hear about druids, you hear about witches, and it's all kind of like to me. I always thought it was kind of intertwined. Um, that's why I was curious uh, on that. Anyway, so you said you experienced things on the tour. Uh, yes. What what type of things did you experience? Right at the very top of the tour. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, actually, I'll go back the night before. Okay. Okay. Before we went up the tour, uh, we just arrived in Glastonbury and we were relaxing the evening before, and we were talking. And what I felt, we tuned into the energies round about us. There was uh, there, were, there were two main locations round about us. There was a place called Weary All Hill, and there was Glastonbury Tor that we could see. So we focused on the energies in the tour, and what I felt was, and I believe Vary felt the same, was this spiralling energy that just seemed to be coming from the earth and pouring out. Now, the, that evening, I thought it should have been going from the top down. Mm-hmm. But as we were going up the pathway to the top of Glastonbury Tor, I realised that the energy was actually rising on that particular day. Now, again, it was the summer solstice. It is the longest day. And if there was any time that fire energy would take place, I would be expecting it to rise, not to descend. But the spiralling energy was there, and it felt as though I was... When you walk up the tour, you don't walk round it. You walk up a series of uh, pathways that are on, the, I believe it's the east side of the tour. Now... There is a legend. No, I only found this out after I got back. There is a legend that if you follow the exterior pathways of the tour, there is an imprint of what people call a labyrinth within the outline of the tour. You, know, I, I, you can't see it. But the story goes that if you walk along and find your way through the labyrinth, almost like a spiral when you think about it, Mm-hmm. that you pass between this world into the realm of the next world, the spirit world, into another place. Uh, and each one of these ties into whatever one of the legends that you want to have a look at. But I just, I only understood that and I only found that out when I got back and started oh, wow. looking into it in more detail. So the spiralling energy... Hello, hello, can you hear me? My name is Harry Price. I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Parax Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2, 
But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. I am Ron Kolick. With me is St. Jan. And our special guest is... Stephen Scott. Uh, sorry about the commercials. Totally missed it. Fell asleep. My bad. It's, it's that Scottish droll that just, uh, I'm so enthralled by it. It like, puts me like a deer in the headlights. It's called a Scottish burr. Yeah, Scottish burr. That's it. Anyways, um, so anyways, uh, Nate did some uh, Wikipedia work for us. He said, Paganism is a blanket term for any religion, spiritual path, not Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. Druidy is a specific path, which may also be eclectic, but is generally based on Celtic, Celtic pre-Christian philosophies. So, there you go. Anyways, uh, I interrupted you, and I, I apologize, Stephen. I, I missed the, uh, the cue. Yeah, that's okay, Ron. It's no problem. Uh, so, as we're saying, the, the, there is this myth of the labyrinth and the passageway between this world and the next, and that is something that came through very strongly in every single thing that we did. There was always that experience of where we are is a, almost like a borderland between this world and a spiritual world. It even happened at Tintagel, where we were at the top of Tintagel Castle and it's just bad and it's bare and I sent you the photograph now, for some people symbology doesn't mean much mm-hmm. but we've actually got an isolated cloud that has a rainbow in it and it, it was an amazing thing to see I've never seen a rainbow cloud in my life literally the colours of the rainbow pass through this small section of cloud and amidst this entire blue sky now People out there will say it's, you know, diffraction, diffusion of light, whatever. But when I look at everything that was going on in the areas that we were taking, that we were visiting, for me the rainbow symbolises the rainbow bridge, and to be at the top, literally at the top of the world where we were, and to only have above us the heavens, and then all of a sudden this little cloud appears out of nowhere in this perfectly roasting hot blue sky. And it's got this rainbow in the centre of it. Again, it was another example of the symbology and perhaps the magic and the mysticism that can take place somewhere like Tintagel Castle and somewhere like uh, 
the locations that we were visiting when we were on our own little Arthurian quest. Mm-hmm. For me, the Rainbow Bridge symbolises that connection between heaven and the life that we're in just now. Okay. You know, it's and it, it, it was there very strongly in that aspect. Everything yeah. seemed to be about this this passage. So if you want to see this uh, cloud, I believe it's in a folder on the Ghost Chronicles Next Generation page. I, I don't have the page up, so I, I can't see. But and In fact, uh, Stephen, any of those photos you, uh, that you sent me, if you want to comment on them, please do, because uh, I did post them. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, a rainbow uh, cloud is, is interesting, and uh, you're right, some people will just uh, poo-poo it. But others will find it magical, and I think it's all up to about your own personal beliefs and, and what it means to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's what I always find whenever we, we, we do something like this, is that we can come back and say, this is what we experienced, this is how we felt. It's purely experiential, uh, and it's, it's down to the individuals. Um, what I would say, though, is is that I have never seen so many people. There were maybe 20, 30 people at the location where we were. When Vary noticed the rainbow cloud, I've never seen so many cameras come up in, in a quick motion in my life. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised there weren't a couple of people with black eyes. Uh, <laughs> because the cameras just appeared in front of faces. I've no idea how they did it. Uh, but everyone just started taking photographs of these clouds uh, and... You know, there was a lot of ooing and eyeing, you know, talking about the beauty of the thing. And again, there was that moment of where we all became focused and fixated on this one thing. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if that's not a magical experience that you can share a moment with other people, I don't know what is. Exactly. You know, and each one of us can take that away and we can see we were there on that hill and this lovely cloud appeared. And, you know, as a human consciousness, we all shared that moment we experience something that perhaps we might never see again mm-hmm. and it, it, it was just a wonderful thing because it, it, was, it was quite amazing how quickly everyone turned when we, when you, uh, this is a little bit off the subject but when something like that appears and, and you mentioned about 20 people, do you think it meant different things to each person in other words it, it was the, the same cloud, same rainbow but it its incarnation meant different things to each person that was there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, for myself, as I say, it symbolised that rainbow, that connection, that uh, connection between here and the spirit realm. Uh, for others, it will just simply be a wonderful anomaly of light that they've taken a glimpse of. Others may look at it as, I mean, people see angels in clouds. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it's. Uh, I, I don't take a place to say it's correct, it's incorrect, or whatever. Uh, some people might see that as a visitation or a blessing from their own personal belief, their own personal deity. But what was strange was, given it was ju- literally just after the solstice, it's a very spiritual time, something like this happens, and yes, it's very easy to say, ah, it's just this, it's just that, it's just the next thing. But unless you were there and you managed to touch into that energy at that moment... When everyone's focus directed upward, you know, um, all I can say is we were all staring at the heavens at that point, and it meant something very special to me. I know it meant something incredibly special to uh, Vary, my wife, and uh, there were several others there who just couldn't believe what they were seeing. 
they'd never seen this before, so it, it marked a moment in their lives where something different happened. It gave them a memory to cherish. And if life is about anything, it's about attaining experience and gathering memories. You know, and um, as a medium, that's one of those undisputable facts that if I were to deliver a message to someone and say, they're talking about the rainbow cloud, can you remember that? That's a very specific piece of information. And it's a wonderful thing in this human life that we can gather these types of memories that we can then carry on into spirit and then bring back to give people comfort. And for me, that was what that whole experience was about. Right, absolutely. Uh, you know, I still want to run out out of time on this, but you also uh, sent me some pictures of Merlin's cage. And, of course, yes. coming just back from... Uh, America Stonehenge with uh, Anne uh, on Monday, uh, that kind of excited me as well. And so you want, you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Despite everything that happened, I felt the most amazing things at Merlin's Cave. Putting everything else into context of how incredible it was. So wait everything... a minute. What, what is Merlin's Cave before we, you know... Okay. Apparently, it is literally the cave where... Merlin was said to not necessarily reside in, but to take host in, I believe, while events were taking place at Tintagel Castle. There's not a lot of story on it as to why it's called Merlin's Cave mm-hmm. directly, but it's it's just simply referred to as Merlin's Cave, and it's apparently the place where the energy... Uh, I, I'm unsure as to whether or not there was a Merlin, but I believe that the energy and the the sensations that were within people at the time that that made the myth of Merlin take place uh, was quite strongly there, to be honest. Um, again, it's if, if you look up Merlin's Cave on the internet, you'll find six or seven or eight different variations as to why it's called that. And it, it's very... Uh, it's very symbolic of the whole Arthurian legend is that there's not just one explanation for a lot of things, there's several th- uh, theories, eight more explanations, and, you know, several more, you know, solid findings that could actually be disputed because it's not backed up. Uh, if The best thing to do is have a look at what you believe Merlin's Cave to be and look at it. For me, Merlin's Cave, when you stood... When we first got there, it was underwater. We oh, couldn't wow. access it. Uh, we were there for maybe three, four hours and the tide was going out um, and it was under about five feet of water I think when we got there and the tides were too strong to go anywhere near it mm-hmm. by the time we toured around Tintagel Castle uh, what we noticed was that the tide had gone out and you could access the cave and as soon as you walked in there it was literally a hole in the side of the uh, cliff face and it goes right through to the back, which you'll see in the photographs. And there's just this, basically like kind of cleft a rock at the back that's just open. It literally felt like if I walked through the back, and this is what I felt. I felt if I walked through the back, and you'd have had to enter the ocean to do so, I could very well have gone into a different place at the back of that. There just seemed to be this amazing sensation of power, and again, that passage from one sense of thought to another, from the physical to the spiritual. 
there was just this amazing light cascading through. There was a mist in the cave, which again you can naturally explain away if you choose to do so. But the mist was hovering about maybe one third, two thirds of the way up. Uh, it wasn't just spray coming in. Uh, and we also noticed we started to get some strange light anomalies that weren't in all the photographs. And I took a series of photographs remaining in exactly the same place. And this light anomaly actually moves around Vary at one point. Now, I'm not big on night, eh, excuse me, light anomalies, as you know, Ron. I, I usually think it's lens flare or something like that. But this one just looked a wee bit different. And, again, it's a personal experience. Where we were and the things that we felt, coupled with these strange anomalies that we start to see in some of the photographs, it just makes you stop for a moment and think, you, you, you know... There is something there. It's just how it's perceived. It's And again, it's very individual. When I was standing in that cave, I literally felt as though there was a power coming through the front of the cave, out the back of the cave, and you could stand it. It felt like a vortex, that you were just standing in the middle of it. And it just felt, as, as I said, as though if I walked through into the sea and just kept going, through the back of that cave, I felt as though I would have entered into another world. It was just the most unusual, and again, the the most uh, uplifting, and uh, the most kind of dreamlike quality about the entire experience in there. And I, I'm still struggling to understand exactly what I felt in that cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I felt as though it wasn't just walking through history, it wasn't just walking through a hole in a cliff face, it, it was so much more than that. It was There was just this sense of there's a power here and there's a, a real power here that if you choose to believe and work with it, I believe you could do a lot of good with that power. Sounds like it was very profound, Steve. It was, Jan. It's, I've, I've never been so stuck for words. As I say, normally getting me to talk is not difficult. It's getting me to stop talking that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in this case, I really struggled to get my words around what exactly I felt in there. So, do you? I mean, if you were to sus- describe it, would you describe it as a religious experience? No, no, I wouldn't call it a religious experience, Ron. I would call it a spiritual experience. Well, what's the difference, Steve? I'm trying to Well, get... for me, a religious experience has to be based in a religious belief, <clears throat> i.e., I saw an angel of God. I saw, uh, I saw a messenger from spirit. Oh, this wasn't oh, like okay. that. This was, I felt as though the world, the universe itself, had gathered energies, and at that moment was allowing me to just experience the slightest glimmer of that. Oh, okay. See, do something with it. It was so much more than just a religious moment. I, I think you know. To me, a religious experience is is, is a profound experience. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it it's either a a, a awing experience or a soothing experience. But it, it's uh-huh. not necessarily. I mean, you don't have to tie it to a particular religion. It, it, you just know that this energy coming from 
uh, a greater greater uh, than ourselves. Yes. Uh, whether it's yep. a, a conscious, that's why to me, spiritual experience and religious experience are, are uh, interchangeable. Uh, mm-hmm. So, to, to you know, it, it's not. Although it's, you yep. don't have to be a particular religion or any religion to have a religious experience. Yep. In my book, because mm-hmm. it's more well, of a feeling. How about we say it felt like a divine experience? That works too. I mean, those to me, they're all interchangeable: mm-hmm. spiritual, uh, religion. I mean. So I just try to get that to our viewers that, you know, if you go into, uh, you know, a shrine, for instance, which is, you know, a religion. OK, so say you went up to the shrine of uh, Medjugorje and you could have that same type of experience, even though, you know, it's not Merlin's cave. It's a, it's a shrine, but you, you still can feel that same energy. Mm-hmm. So do you, you see what I'm getting at, uh, Stephen? Yes, yes, yes. I understand so, anyways, uh, it, it sounds uh, you know it sounds phenomenal. I mean, the only thing I, I'm sitting here like, geez, I wish he had a, a you know a tri tri field meter with him or <laughs> you know <laughs> something that you know you can measure some of this or it, it would be interesting to see how it would would go. And you know, I'd love to prove uh, Mr. Uh, Parsons wrong about so many things. But uh, <laughs> anyways, that would be interesting. Uh, so I mean, this whole trip for you was was an amazing thing. Now, one of the things I did see in there, and, and of course I don't have the album in front of you, which makes it difficult, is that there was like a uh, a green spot, and it was like a, a globe or something. Yes, yeah, it's the photographs that <clears throat> varies in, and interestingly, it only appears in the photos that she's in. Really, it doesn't appear in any photos I am in. Yes. It appears, and there's a photograph that looks like it appears on its own, but if you look closely, Vary's head is literally just in the side of the photograph. Um, it only ever, it was just this, it was almost like a green teardrop effect, uh, which I've not seen in photographs like that before. Now, again, I'm sure someone out there can explain this in terms of, you know, refraction or diffusion of light, but. What we saw on these photographs was that it actually moves around her. And one, it's behind her left left side. And the next one, it's around her left arm, and then it moves round to her right side. Now, I didn't move, and all Vary did was kind of change her body position slightly. I think she's slightly bent over in one of them. Mm -hmm. And this light manifest... I'll call it a manifestation. But uh, it appears to be moving around her. And in the one photograph where Vary's off to the side, which I don't think you have, it seems to be moving across. It's moved further across from where it actually was. Now, I was taking the photographs. Generally, when I'm taking photographs, I'm not spiritually tuning in. So I was completely switched off at that moment. Um, And I wished that I hadn't been. uh, Because when I think back about taking the photographs, I didn't notice or feel or sense anything at all uh, um, which was a great pity uh, right. looking back at the photographs there is definitely something happening there uh, so within when that look, when you look at the, the photographs you, you, you don't you can't read them at all right actually I haven't tried you know I invented, I invented this, this term uh, I know this young lady uh, who uh, would read photographs and, and so I, I call it photo scrying and uh, it's it 
you sometimes some people can do that. They can take a look and they can just by looking at a photograph they can uh, read the energies in it, which is is, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, if we go out on a limb, let's go out on a limb for a second. I don't what? normally do this. We'll go it's out on a limb. One of the legends of Melon's Cave is that it's where the infant Arthur was washed ashore and Merlin found him okay. and carried him to safety. Now, if you look closely at... I'm trying to find the photograph just now. It's called... Um, there's the photograph Merlin's Cave 5, mm-hmm. Light Anomaly. And there's also the photograph Merlin's... Oh, there's two. There's uh, Light Anomaly 1 and Light Anomaly 3. Okay. I think that shape, and again, I'll go out on a limb, could just as easily look like a child in swaddling, swaddling clothes. I don't know. Okay. Maybe it could. It also goes straight. It also goes across her heart in the photograph. It's it's also tapping into her heart in the photograph. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I don't know. Per- perhaps there's that aspect of that. Uh, I'll have to watch. Watch. I say it. Rebuffing energy. Hopefully not in Vary, but. <laughs> <laughs> But perhaps there's that nature of that rebirthing energy, of, of that revival energy, and again, there's that passageway going on here that we mentioned before, because within that Arthurian legend, Arthur passes through Merlin's Cave to go literally from the, the waters of the ocean to the world that we're in, the baby Arthur. And um, perhaps there's that manifestation there of that rebirth, renew phase of life within that cave and perhaps that's what we were experiencing when we were there is that there was just that sense of you know regeneration and replenishment Mm -hmm. of life force itself okay so I know that we're getting down on time wise there is there anything else you want to mention about this trip oh wow yes Uh, we also went out to Stonehenge aha aha and uh, again Stonehenge has ties back there's legend and myth that Merlin had a hand in the creation of Stonehenge now while anyone can look at the the archaeological information and say well Stonehenge was built 3000 years BC Merlin doesn't really kick in until about I think it's 400, 500, 600 BC uh, that doesn't tie in but what there is there is that uh there's ties to not just the creation of the inner circle at Stonehenge, the blue stones, the smaller ones that were laid first. Uh, it also has ties to how those stones may have passed from one side of the of the essential the country to the next by going down river, because according to the myth, Merlin brings the stones over from Ireland. Ah. And again, you can tap into that and people can go and look at that because, as I said, you scratch the surface and all of a sudden it's a wellspring of information and legends. But um, what happened is, Vary and I, and again this brings us back to your earlier question, Vary and I were standing outside Stonehenge looking at it and I said to her, do you feel anything? And she says, yes. And she started to describe what she felt. And at the same time, the two of us said, an oak tree. Really? exact same moment. It looked like there was a giant oak tree blossoming. Now, in her mind's eye, using her clear senses and tapping into the energy of that area. When I got back, I looked at the symbology of the oak tree, and the oak tree is one of the major symbols of the goddess again. Ah. And I didn't know this. 
mm-hmm. because it's not something that I've it, not that I've not expressed an interest, but it's it's not a subject matter that I've gone into in a great deal deal of detail. Uh, so that was really interesting. I, f- I found that very, very interesting that the, the two of us saw the exact same thing without either of us, you know, dropping any seeds or, you know, do you see a tree? You know, does it get leaves? What kind of leaves? Are they oak leaves? Aye. Oh, I saw an oak tree. You know, nothing like that happened. I just said, what did you see? And just as she spoke, we both said an oak tree. And But at the same time, it was mirrored above and below ground. So it was it was almost tied into that as above so below type of energy, uh, which again wouldn't be too uh, difficult to understand because of the time of the year, because of that rising fire and the end of summer, essentially the beginning of the descent into winter, and everything that that represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we felt there was a great deal of healing needing to be done while we were there. The Chalice Well, for example, we felt needed healing. It was a source of healing. But we felt the well itself needed healed. And what we did was we were both meditating and nothing was happening. And believe you me, there were a lot, we, we literally saw tree-hugging hippies. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I can officially say I've seen a tree-hugging hippie <laughs> in my life now. Uh, but it seemed like there was a lot of people wanting to be healed, but not enough people giving back. So we tried a wee experiment and when we tapped into it, especially Vary, Vary had a much stronger reaction than me, but again, it's a feminine place. Uh, when she tapped into it and she gave back some thoughts and some prayers to that chalice energy, she got an immense sensation back, uh, quite an emotional sensation, uh, something very personal to her as well. Mm-hmm. So it's again, it's uh, it's kind of symbolic of I think where we are is that there's a lot of these sacred places we seem to think are there to serve us, but we forget that these places were served by us, we were there to protect and nurture and care for these places mm-hmm. and that's kind of been turned on its head a little nowadays by the majority of people that go to them and I that's think that's still, a great shame We're a very taking society Absolutely that, yeah. uh, that, that was the uh, doorbell which means pizza from the dead is here so we got about two minutes left uh, so if there's anything critical you would like to talk now is your chance <laughs> I honestly can't think. Uh, I think, again, like the legends, we've only scratched the surface of everything, but uh, if anybody you know wants to know anything, they can stick it on the page and we'll see if we can answer it for them if you'd like. Yeah, absolutely, they can do that. And if you go to our Facebook page, uh, Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, we do have that album there. And, uh, Stephen, uh, if, you, if anybody's interested to get a hold of you, uh, ask you questions or, or get a reading or whatever, uh, how can they reach you? They can reach me on my website at www.stephenwkscott.com. Absolutely, and, and you also have a book on there as well, which I, I actually have a copy of, and it's an awesome book. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, they can get that through the site as well. Yes, yes, they can. All right, so we want to thank you so much for uh, joining us. Yep, thank you, and it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you again, Ron, and especially the lovely St. John. Oh, Steve, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure listening to you. It's been very, very interesting. Yeah, you know, I, I got a nice nap while you were talking, so. <laughs> I just slapped him for you, Steve. <laughs> thank you, John. <laughs> so, I mean, it was interesting because uh, we, we went on our great adventure. Uh, we went to uh, Stone Edge, and what was there but a well, the well of lost souls. Uh, so, of course, it's a different theory behind that one. Sucks the soul out of you. Oh, that sounds awful. That's all right. Got to replenish the earth. <laughs>
That's that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, anyways, thanks a lot, Stephen, and uh, uh, good to talk with you again. Please yep. give Barry my best, okay, Steve? Oh, I will do, John. Thank you. Yeah, Take bye care. Now. Bye. So, anyways, uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Planet Paranormal, wherever else fine radio shows are played. And tune in next week when the Blonde Bombshell will be back. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.